Hey, NAFI instructors and NAFI listeners. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I want to welcome you back to our next edition of More Right Rudder, the NAFI podcast for instructors on the go. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind everybody that Sun and Fun is coming up. And uh, thanks to our partners at uh, Glime Aviation, NAFI will be there. And so come visit us. We have a booth in Charlie Hanger. It'll be booth number 41, so come by and say hi. We'd appreciate it. Um, additionally, um, this podcast is brought to you by one of our other sponsors, Jepson. Now, Jepson's been kind enough to uh, not just partner with us, but also allow our members to have 20% off of uh, training courses and $50 off if they uh, decide to subscribe to a Jep chart service. So we thank Jepson for, uh, for everything that they do for Naffy and, of course, Glime as well. Um, so this edition is going to be a throwback to our very first briefing room. This was recorded about a year ago um, by Captain Brian Schiff, one of our board members, and a good personal friend of his, Joey Johnson. Now, they're both American Airlines pilots, and Joey is a DP, and of course, Brian is a, a very long-standing instructor, and uh, they've both been doing this for a very, very long time, and one of the things that they wanted to discuss in this episode was just the idea that uh, people don't understand power-off 180s. Instructors don't understand it. In a lot of cases, students don't understand it, and if one doesn't know, the other one isn't going to know either. So they want to talk about uh, what that maneuver is, what it's like, and, and sort of different techniques on how to, uh, to teach it. And there is a follow-up episode, which will air later, and uh, that'll be Power Off 180s Part 2. And that one includes uh, Brian and Tom Turner, so look forward to that one. Um, but uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode, and... We also have some exciting things coming. We have a, a new format where we'll be airing more content on the podcast, not just uh, some of the reused content that we have, but uh, we've got some pretty good ideas on what a, a unique, brand new experience will look like. So uh, look for that coming up in probably May. Um, but I do hope you're enjoying this, and uh, let us know if there's anything else you'd like to hear. You can always email us at uh, naffy at naffynet.org and once again thanks for listening enjoy Say hello to my good friend Joey Johnson American Airlines pilot and uh, designated pilot examiner out in the Fort Worth area how you doing Joey? I'm doing great and Seth Brian yeah, yeah, busy giving check rides these days. Absolutely, uh, with the coronavirus, uh, things were shut down quite a bit, and a lot of examiners were unable to do rides. So the ones of us that were still doing it are absolutely covered up. Uh, you're doing a lot of commercial rides. I do. I do quite a bit of commercial rides. With the uh, shortage uh, leading up to this uh, whole event with the, the coronavirus, that uh, we are seeing a lot of kids coming out at the tail end of the schools now, and, and are needing their commercial check rides. That's great. That's great. On that commercial ride, I know everybody knows what we're going to be talking about here, but what would you say is the most commonly missed or failed task on that check ride? If I were to look at the ride as a whole, I would say overall probably the power off 180 approach is most likely the, uh, if we were calculating, you know, numbers uh, would be to have the highest percentage of failure uh, out of all the events that are on the check ride. 
I think I've seen that as well. In fact, I've had a lot of students come to me after having failed that check, that portion of the check ride, not my students, of course, but uh, <laughs> coming to me for help on that maneuver. Uh, I have always taught my students from the ground up, <clears throat> from private pilot on, to do power off uh, landing. So when they're down to being the numbers, if they're cleared to land, pull the power at that point. And that primacy, that law of primacy, if they learn that at the beginning, they start beginning to learn how the airplane glides and all that. I know some instructors don't teach that. They teach certain power settings all the way around the pattern. From an instructor's point of view, what, uh, what do you teach that way or what do you like to see taught? Well, I like to see that as well. I think that's an excellent idea to start them with uh, power off approaches from the beginning. Um, it, it helps them develop a skill that will carry on to many other maneuvers that they'll have to do later on. Uh, you know, up to and including a worst case scenario, they actually have an engine failure and have to do a power off approach into the middle of a field or another airport somewhere. So having that skill in their back pocket from the beginning uh, is certainly uh, advantageous to them. And uh, I would highly stress to all instructors that, uh, that you do this with, beginning with the private pilot, even prior to solo, have them do a handful of those power off approaches just to get them used to how the airplane glides. Now this was a, a technique that's been taught since, uh, you know, the, probably the early beginnings of aviation was uh, most approaches were flown power off. That, that was the preferred method was to beam the number, pull it off and glide the airplane around to a landing. Right. <clears throat> However, as we advance with technology and the modern engines uh, and, and uh, the fatality rate uh, was going up, the FAA basically introduced the uh, concept of stabilized approach and utilizing power throughout the approach. And uh, so this is where we've become handicapped to a degree because we're not accustomed to doing the power off approaches anymore. You know, we're teaching stabilized approaches and using power settings around. And I guess that makes sense in a lot of airplanes, but somehow we got to practice uh, the concept of pitches, uh, airspeed and power is altitude. And I know that's a lifelong debate back when Orville Wright was teaching me how to fly. We were even debating that whole concept. <laughs> but uh, so, so you get different philosophies, but I think it's important to discuss that it's really a combination of pitch and power, except when the power is fixed. That's exactly what happens is we get into these uh, fixations on uh, pitching for airspeed or power for airspeed. And, uh, and losing the, the uh, reality of the matter is that they both work together. The concept is you manage your energy and one can be traded for the other. Uh, airspeed obviously can be traded for altitude and vice versa. Um, you know, and, but when you get to a fixed power setting, such as full power or no power, then you only have one option left for your airspeed and that is going to be uh, pitch. What would you say are the most common errors you see in the power off 180? The first, uh, three there, the downwind legs too far, the overextension of the downwind resulting from the tailwind, the inadequate compensation for the drift um, on the base leg. All of these basically wind up making us too high or too low. And then at that point, if you go down this list, um, this is exactly what we see then is the attempt to compensate for that error in judgment um, by either stretching the glide or, or shortening the glide. Uh, one of a number of ways I've seen uh, people try to hold the airplane at a lower airspeed uh, in order to stretch the glide. And I've also seen them dive the airplane in order to try to shorten the glide. Uh, and now we wind up with an excess amount of uh, airspeed energy at, at the end of the approach. And in the end, uh, we either wind up going around because we don't make the airport, or we try to force the airplane on the runway in order to make the landing zone. And as a result of that, we start uh, a porpoise. Uh, and I've seen the porpoises get out of hand to the point that I had to take the aircraft to keep the airplane from crashing. What are your thoughts on slipping during this maneuver? Is that okay or encouraged or discouraged? 
I don't have a problem if they if they utilize a slip. They're they're utilizing all the resources in order to successfully accomplish uh, their goal. Uh, that's what you would do in a real world scenario if you had actually lost an engine and you were trying to get into a field. You would attempt to use all your resources in order to make it. It's when the the outcome of that was unsuccessful is when we have a problem with well what happened. And it seems like there's several tools to get down if you're high, but I don't know of any tool if you make this maneuver and you extend too far downwind. Uh, with a good headwind on final, any tool to recover from this maneuver if you're too low, or is it just over? Or maybe you could say, hey, is that a rat on the runway? We better go around. <laughs> well, that's, that's, uh, that's funny you should bring that up because I do get that oftentimes. I've had students that, that extended too far and, uh, and it was obvious they weren't gonna make the runway and they announced that they were gonna go around due to safety. Yeah. And um, in the end, that was an unsuccessful maneuver. And I explained it to them. Right. I go, well, if this had been a real engine failure type situation and we were trying to land in a field with trees at both ends, where would we be in that given scenario? I've found that it's easier to aim, train a, a student to go long, aim long, and then compensate and shorten it if you have to. But if you aim for the numbers and are short, there's nothing you can do. This all comes back to the, as you mentioned earlier, the law of primacy and teaching the power off approach uh, from the beginning. Had they been doing it from the beginning, uh, to do a power off 180 would just be another day to, uh, in the pattern, so to speak. I just thought of an interesting question. If you're, okay, you're the examiner, but if you're gonna give the answer to, hey, given everything I've seen, all the students that are the applicants that I've seen perform this maneuver, the things they've messed up, the way I like to see it the most, Talk me through a pattern. They say, okay, we're gonna do a power off 180 accuracy approach and landing on this pattern. Talk me around the pattern on everything that you would do step-by-step step around the pattern the things that you would like to see best that, that basically give me the answer. What's the answer to that maneuver? What a student should be doing? But essentially once we have reached the point of beam um, and, and at the proper altitude to beam the point of intended landing, uh, that's often another mistake. We don't get to pattern altitude on, on the downwind because the student was slow to climb, or he's just reaching altitude and he's still at a low speed versus a normal cruise speed, which of course, you know, translates to, to lot, lack of energy or loss of energy. Um, but if we're being the, the point at the, at the proper altitude and the proper airspeed, simply uh, if the airplane's carbureted, pull the carb heat, uh, reduce the power slowly to idle, still inject, just reduce it slowly to idle. It, you're down if not already. And then initiate a glide, just like you would on a normal landing. Uh, lower the nose into a landing uh, gliding attitude for the approach. Uh, normally on downwind, the students uh, typically on a powered approach would put down 10 degrees flaps. Um, I advise them to go ahead and add that 10 degree uh, flaps at that point, that first notch, if you will. Um, now on a powered approach, stabilized approach, generally we uh, look for a point 45 off our shoulder or the point of intended landing and initiate the turn. But in a power off approach, it's oftentimes hard to do because that point at which you want to turn base is going to vary dependent upon the amount of tailwind and headwind you're going to have when you come back around. Um, on the base leg on a power on approach, we would normally put in our next notch of flaps and uh, maintain our glide path and continue reduction in the airspeed. In this situation, we're managing our airspeed with our pitch. So we're just going to try to maintain our airspeed in that glide path uh, and then just use the flaps to help you know, if we need to slow us down, but to help us more so descend. And then once we turn final, we're aimed where we want to land or just short of it so that the airplane will flare and, and uh, you know, land shortly beyond that. 
Uh, and once we, you know, we've got the landing insured and our landing spot insured, we'll go in with our final flaps. I, my concept behind that is, is let's keep this as normal as possible. The more stable, the more normal the approach, the more successful I've seen the applicants. I always ask my students when they roll out on base, how do you look? And I think that even today, one of my students who's an airline pilot told me, I turned a visual approach in the airliner, and as soon as I roll out on base, I hear you asking, how do you look? <laughs> so always reevaluate on base because you have a tool right there. If it looks like you got this standstill headwind on base leg that's really bringing you down, well, you can angle in at that point, right? So if you, if you don't square off the turn to final and you point it straight at the numbers, you might recover the maneuver. I think that's a great idea, Brian, to, to, to reevaluate each piece of the leg. Do I need to flap? Don't I need to flap? So am I high? Am I low? If, if a student can do that too, that's, that's another method that I utilize is, is, is maintain the glide speed. That's going to give the airplane its best lift and drag ratio um, when coming around, you know, and then even as you add the flaps, try to maintain that and use your flaps like an altitude device, if you will, to help you low, lose the altitude. You don't need the flaps, don't use them. Uh, if you do need the flaps because a little bit high, use them and then maintain the glide speed all the way around. That way you don't wind up with all that excess energy in the flare. It doesn't say you, you can't fly inverted or do whifferdills or, or calisthenics on final. So, but I think that it's important not to scare the examiner, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you would not want, <laughs> would not want to, to scare the examiner um, to where he felt it was necessary to take control of the airplane. If, if the examiner has to jump on the controls because he feels as though there's a threat, uh, he's probably not going to be a positive outcome in that event. Folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode, and uh, we thank both Brian and Joey for taking the time to uh, to record and share the information with uh, with all of you. Um, last bit of information, a little bit of housekeeping. I do hope uh, that if you aren't a member, maybe we uh, have convinced you in one way, shape, or form to become one. And uh, remember, you don't have to be an instructor to join. So as long as you're an enthusiast of uh, aviation education, aviation, or just learning something, um, certainly we'd love to have you as a member. And uh, basically, to sign up, you can go to www.nafinet.org, and you can basically join that way. If uh, you'd rather give us a call, you can talk to us on the phone at 866-806-6156. But we appreciate each and every one of our members. Um, we've learned something from uh, just about all of our members in, in communications. And uh, we're trying to put together some really cool and fun things. So uh, we'd love to bring you along for the ride. So anyways, thank you so much. And uh, the next episode will be part two with Tom Turner and Brian Schiff. Thanks.